So you ready to go, Elliot? Been ready. All right. What are we doing today? Well, first, I got to get over, I guess, you writing this episode, because first of all, the jokes in it are, I'm just going to warn everybody now. They're terrible. Andy, Andy wrote, he tried to do comedy, and it's just, I don't know. Matt, did you think this episode was funny? It was kind of, I don't know. It, it was a tough one. It it's tough, it's tough. Yeah. Well, we're going to have fun with it. The name of the episode, I was confused at first. Okay, you going to say it, or did you forget which one's which? It's Bokashi. Is it Bokashi? Yeah, it is. Buka, buka, not Bukashi. No, not Bukaki. Bokashi. Bo, bo, like a bow on a present. Kashi, like the cereal. Kashi, like the cereal. Got and it. Cereal present. Present cereal. Got it. Yes. There you go. That was fun. Wasn't it? So you can find out about Bokashi on Cornhub. Oh, God. Right, Elliot? <laughs> have you, a lot have of you... corn tent going on over there. Yeah, we got to get we gotta get that on lockdown. We got to get Cornhub on lockdown. Hell yeah. <laughs> Stickers, they're coming. Mm. That, that's going to be we so have... fun. That's going to be so fun as well. Or should we, should we start <laughs> this? Should we, or we're just going to talk about like fucking Cornhub the whole time. <laughs> This is we're a strictly corn hub podcast now. All we talk about is all corn all the time. <laughs> we're like that little TikTok kid. That was that one time. That was the one hundredth episode. Yeah. I uh, thought I got it all out, but I didn't. Apparently not. We're back. We're back. Back with the poor pearls almanac. Niche farm content. Thank you, Matt. That was nice. Smooth. He's better he's better at this than both of us. Yes. That's why we brought him. That's why I'm paid the huge bucks. In corn. Yeah. He gets paid in the cobs. That's all I'm gonna say. Ooh. Two cobs, one one podcast. God damn it! All right, we gotta move right, so, on. Bakashi, Bakashi. So Bakashi is one of those things. I think for a lot of people in like the our audience, we'll just call them our audience. They've heard about it. If you spent enough time around like organic agriculture. Uh, you, you've at least heard of it. And it's one of those things that seems a little bit weird. It's like composting with extra steps, like fermentation. And I think for a lot of people, fermentation is like this really intimidating thing. I know it is for me, like making like any fermented foods. I'm always afraid I'm going to screw it up. But um, obviously at this point, I think most people have at least tried making their fermented plant juice. I mean, obviously everyone's tried that obviously so this one shouldn't be a very big deal at all and like everything we cover on this podcast we'll take some time and see if the science actually backs up the claims of it being better than compost right and i'm here to be podcast muscle so go listen to our fpj and our other fermented plant juice foliar spray recipe content you know how to find all that shit and do all that now not now after you finish the episode no breaks in between you will binge me so while not popular here in the United States, Bokashi does have a long history in Southeastern Asia and Japan. The general idea is that it's a compost process, but it's not actually compost. It uses a specific group of microbes to anaerobically ferment your waste, which leaves you with a compost. I know I'm calling it compost and it's not compost that can be quickly used by the microorganisms in the soil. Unlike traditional compost, you don't need to measure out greens and browns and it doesn't generate heat or gases, and all of the byproducts are contained within a closed system, so nutrients aren't theoretically lost in the composting process. This also means there's no smells, mostly, no insects, and no rodent problems. So it sounds pretty perfect, right? It kind of does, because 
my dad kind of squeals like a baby when he sees some bugs, and I think I could probably get him to do this. Yeah, and my personal favorite is it's a lot easier to compost meat and dairy. Definitely, it's less worry for sure when you're dealing with those products. Now, despite the fact I listed all of the great things about Bokashi, there might be some times when it's not the right composting solution for you, and again, we'll talk about that. So talk to your doctor and see if Bokashi is right for you. Elliot, our PR man, here to make sure you don't get overwhelmed by the Bokashi. Never want to get overwhelmed. Never want to get overwhelmed. Lost in the sauce. Lost in the anaerobic sauce. So we've talked about anaerobic fermentation quite a bit before. If it doesn't sound familiar, I'd suggest tuning into the Jadam episode if you want a bit of a deeper dive. Because I think a lot of things tie together from that episode and here. So much like Elliot, I'm going to plug a different episode. The point is that this isn't really a composting process, even though we're going to keep using the word composting, but a fermentation and breaking down of the minerals through that process. Compost is an aerobic process relying on oxygen, and an anaerobic compost pile stinks and can actually cause damage to your soils. And if you listen to our compost episode a few weeks ago, if you want to learn about that side of things. We're basically becoming a poor compost almanac, apparently, because all we do is talk about dirt and shit. All compost, all the time. You know, that's what they say about almanacs. They compost. I mean, yeah, they're paper. And paper goes in the compost. It's the circle of life. That's right. And you know how long that circle is in the world of Bokashi? About two weeks. If you started listening to this podcast from the first episode Monday morning, started your Bokashi, and listened to all of our content during a 40-hour work week, you wouldn't even catch up before it was done. Americans will use literally anything but the metric system. Yeah, a few episodes ago, we used uh, Shaquille O'Neal's, like the size of the person, as a measurement. Shaq's. Oh, Shaq's. Actually, yeah. Yeah. Shaq's is I forgot a very, about that one. Yes, yeah. it is a, a superior measuring system, we also for the used, record. We also used bears to count time. True. Yeah, we've done this a whole lot, so you're just going to have to trust us on this one, I guess. All right, so which one are we... Two weeks... Uh, oh, sorry. The... Time interval is paper and bakashi. That's the new one we're adding. No, it's proles. Prol episode or proles podcast. I don't know. I'm trying to think of a <laughs> simple way to say that. It's called the Poor Proles Almanac, Andy. We named it for a reason. Oh shit! So we talked about anaerobic fermentation with the use of LAB and JMS in particular way back when. And some of the key things about anaerobic fermentation is that there's no oxygen and the pH of anaerobic conditions in soil or your food waste is pretty low. This reduces which types of microbes can survive in those conditions. And fortunately, methane producing microbes can't survive. And you know what does survive, Elliot? Yeah, I actually do know this one, fucker. It's lactobacillus. Literally can't be stopped. Hell yeah. Lacty boys. Woo. Coming at you. Don't ever yes. say that again. I'm doing it every time. It reminds now, me of like a fucked up version of the Clockwork Orange. Lacty boys? Yeah, because oh, all they God. did was drink milk. <laughs> yeah, true. And wear diapers. <laughs> they're weird. So when you said I that, it. I just got I a real, it. that real visual popped into my head. It was kind of Good. fucked up. Good. So given how fermentation works, specifically that like gases are released while minerals are unbound from like whatever you're fermenting, we're able to make nutrients bioavailable with minimal loss, the same way fermentation makes other foods more digestible for us. Now, it's not just LAB that's doing this work, but um, a number of other things, and we'll talk about whether or not 
their legitimate bacteria. So for one example that's very common is purple non-sulfur bacteria or PNSB. Well, that seems very specific to have its own acronym and color assigned to it. Right? And it is. Mostly because most folks aren't out there harvesting their own LAB, they're buying what's called EM1, which is just a prepackaged microorganism collection. The one we just listed a moment ago, which was picked by Dr. Teru Higa for their ability to be successful for this particular use. Not only have they been used for the average Bokashi bucket in an apartment, but have been used in things as big as sewage treatment plants and on farms. I feel like that speaks well for like the capacity of Bokashi. It also kind of shows alternatives to the way we process things using tons of chemicals, and it doesn't need to be that way. Yeah, for sure. So your first question might be like, well, do we have to buy EM1 then to do this type of composting? And that seems pretty counterintuitive to the poor poles like mentality. Well, the answer is sort of. This shouldn't be a surprise, but people into microbes, not your typical capitalist-supporting consumer. Yeah, I don't imagine people who harvest microbes from the like air and soil are going to like go out and buy some. Yeah, no. So there's two methods, really, what it boils down to, to get around this. One is to buy it once and know how to keep it alive, kind of like a sourdough starter. And the other is to try to capture something similar to PNSB, which there is some YouTube content on. We'll cover it at some point if we have time. The latest. Yeah, yeah. Much like IMO3, you're going to inoculate your waste with a Bokashi brand, which is literally just a starch they've added the microbes to without any competition, so they can hit a high enough critical mass so they can overcome any competition they might face already existing on your food scraps. Okay, so if you have to add all of this and like overwhelm what's already on your food scraps, I'm assuming you can only add so much more waste, or at least proportionally the whole time, so that these microbes can get a chance to multiply in time so it doesn't start to stink and, you know, like yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't become just a trash pile. Yeah, so that is true. And there's some really interesting things that happen in a Bokashi bucket while this fermentation process takes place, especially with the other bacteria that are in that bucket. But before we get there, we're going to take a quick break, listen to some really terrible ads that are probably just my voice, and then we're going to continue back with this conversation. Welcome. You can fall. You can call me Father Kyle, leader and spiritual guide at the Moonshade Garden Seed Company and Apothecary. Please join me, my wives, and our 19 barefoot children in planting seeds that will illuminate your consciousness. These seeds stem from my ancestral homeland a place of ancient memory and traditional peoples, a place called Fort Collins. And make sure to ask about our planting crystal that is sure to enlighten your inner gardener and lighten your wallets. Moonshade Garden products can be found at any Beyond Organic grocery store in Southwestern California. And investment information can be found at our VC firm's website. Yes, we're that evil.com. And we're back and we're talking about Bokashi, Elliot. I said nothing. Bokashi. No, damn it. So proud of yourself. All we do is talk about dirt and shit. I just had to, I try to do 
would you do? And it just right. To be fair, sometimes fermented shit. The man. That's what this episode is about: fermented shit. I mean, this is not literally fermented shit, but Vrikshire Veda is about fermented shit. Yeah, I was just gonna say. Listen, we do fermented, we do compost, and then we do shit, and then sometimes we mix them together. Like a beautiful orgy of nasty stuff. We're just gonna like work our way around the Venn diagram. And all of it is on Cornhub. Oh god. Comes full circle. This graduated to just a whole bunch of bullshit, and I'm I'm sorry everyone. Yeah. I think we gotta like start issuing like written apologies. <laughs> I'll do that. First to Raytheon and then <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That that's more about not getting sued, but you know. Lowry's is last. Yeah, I know we boosted sales. Yeah, Lowry's True. owes us, first off. <laughs> Where would Lowry's salt its... I want an apology letter from them. Yeah. Where would Lowry's seasoned salt be without the poor proles? They have not promoted our show. <laughs> no way. Just salt, no seasoning. Elliot adds that spice. Anyways, so let's talk about the best thing of all, Bokashi. The man is Bokashi pilled. Boke pilled, you love to see it. I won't lie, I hate that Andy tried to get bulk pilled in there. Hell yeah. Matt, you agreed to read it. I was going to read it, and I didn't want to, but I'm again, I'm sorry, everybody. Yeah. He just he just turned Bokashi into bulk pilled. Listen, I, I'm like Compost Malone. God damn it. But now- God. It's getting worse. I'm going <laughs> to- we were graduating. I'm gonna be bulk pilled, thanks to Matt. We were graduating to shit, and now we're degrading into- We're, we're all getting bulk pilled here, first off. There's no good way out of this. The only way is the book way. Nope. Cash me outside. No. Cash E outside? Please go back to talking no. about fermenting compost. Please. Okay, Seriously, fine. talking about, like, shit is better than this. You know... He's not wrong. Someday, when He's I'm not famous as a comedian writer, mm -hmm. you're all gonna... You're all gonna say, I knew it was coming, and I'll be like, you motherfuckers, I have you on tape. Talking shit yeah. about me. Anyway, so let's talk about our buddy, Dr. Higa. So he went to school in Fukuoka. This is only a couple hundred miles from where our boy Masanobu Fukuoka was actively writing the One Straw Revolution. That's wild. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff going on concurrently in this part of the world all at the same time. The 1960s saw Fukuoka working on his farm and writing One Straw Revolution. Master Cho introduced the world to Korean natural farming. And Dr. Higa was coming up with EM1 for Bokashi. So, okay, I always thought that, like, Bakashi was, like, a much older practice, like kimchi or something like that. So, you're right. It actually historically is associated with Korea and is considered to be thousands of years old. But it was the development of EM1 and the technique that Dr. Higa put together that helped really make it, like, accessible for modern living. Okay, so he kind of took away for... It to be done in a lab, I guess, scientifically? Sort of cash in on that? How does that work? Yeah, so like traditionally, it was like you'd dig a hole in the ground, basically a pit, put a, a vessel in the pit, dump your food waste, and then just cap it. So that way, like, it was underground, kept at a steady temperature, and that was basically what Bokashi was. And I'm probably oversimplifying it because I don't know a whole lot about it, just kind of like the rough parameters. But then he was able to say, this is how we can do it in like apartment living. That was what was really valuable. And this all happened in the late 70s when he kind of finalized what he calls this EM1 recipe. 
while it's considered an optimized blend of LAB, yeast, and that PNSB that we talked about, there's a lot of debate of whether or not anything but the LAB and yeast are doing anything beneficial at all. And at this point, there's no real evidence to actually say yes. And YouTube, in this case, will agree with you. We know what LAB is capable of, and some argue that PNSB isn't effective in the anaerobic conditions. Now, I'm not a scientist, so I'm not going to really weigh in, but it does make me far more comfortable to just do a batch with, like, LAB and some yeast. Okay, so we found this and then decided to start selling it to make Bakashi? Well, not exactly. It's kind of a, a wild story. He linked up with this fringe religion. It's called SKK, and it's basically like a Unitarian kind of one god, we're all in this together kind of thing. And they were obsessed with natural farming, even claiming ownership of a practice called Kiyusi Natural Farming. He is and never was a follower of SKK, but clearly saw an opportunity and took advantage of this reality. Shark is some like new age, non-denominational spirituality group like linked up with something like this. Yeah, and honestly, I'm surprised we don't see more scientists linking up with that. Yeah, I think there's definitely a lot of this trying to tie into permaculture, like that one earth, one people kind of stuff. Nothing that I'm aware that's particularly cultish or dangerous, but it's out there for sure. It's a matter of time. Yeah, and given the current ecological and economic crises we're facing, I definitely think it's something to keep an eye on moving into the future. And I think we saw some of this starting to come out with like the COVID and kind of the reaction from some of the permaculture communities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that's probably another a, a discussion for another day. The list. Yeah, put on the list. So to get back to Bakashi, what's actually happening in this fermentation process? This process involves the production of organic acids, such as acetic acid, which we see in like the production of live vinegar, which we have a video on YouTube for. Okay, and just this is like the low P. This is like towards the bottom end of the pH scale. So like acidic side, right? Yes, we see that. Uh, lactic acid, butyric acid, and a bunch of others. All of these are low pH, and this stops decomposition the same way, again, that vinegar that we just talked about stops food from rotting, and this allows that fermentation process to begin. The low pH, just like an LAB, inhibits and destroys the pathogens. Those acids have actually been studied in Korea to control soil pathogens as a fungicide. Okay, I'm curious though. Why is that part of the world, like, so far ahead of... I guess, the Western world and, like, natural farming research. I mean, like, probably they aren't, like, as thoroughly owned by, like, Petroag as we are here. The governments maybe, like, invest a little bit in the health of their people. What's that like? Huh. Huh. Yeah, it sounds nice. <laughs> so we've talked about the microbial component, the EM1, right? Now... Multiple producers make their own proprietary blends, and these can vary not only in microbe content, but how many microbes are in it. The reason I'm bringing that up is that despite the idea that it's a secret, you know, quote-unquote perfect formula, it's pretty open to some kind of interpretation. The key is to have the right diversity to adapt to a wide array of foods to break down. At home, we can take cultures from a purchased EM mother. So, Anyone that's like messed around with live vinegars or kombucha is familiar with this concept of like a mother, right? That's usually that like thing that's living inside of it. And um, you can take cultures from that, take a chunk of it and basically start a new thing. 
Now we've talked how the brand is basically to give the EM critical mass because obviously like spoiled food will have molds and other stuff coming in with it. So we do have to be aware of how much of these molds we're adding so we don't create too much competition, much like Elliot had mentioned earlier. What's pretty cool though about this whole process is that when EM is the dominant strain, and um, I'll say strain loosely here, like if that collection of microbes, it's been actually shown to help train those wild microbes moving in to process the food similar to the EM. That's pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. So I'm guessing based on that concept, as you add food, especially when it's like a lot at a time or you're like seeing or maybe smelling problems, you add more of the Bakashi brand just like right on top. Exactly. A lot of it is really intuitive. You know, you add the food, you add some stuff to break it down. You add more food, you add more stuff to break it down. So let's talk about what that Bokashi brand actually is. Oh, we can skip this part. I actually had some Braised Brand Crunch for breakfast, so I definitely know what brand is. You know what I mean? Oh, I love that crunch. The crunchy boys. Yeah, let's talk about that carbon source that is basically neutral and can grow microorganisms fairly easily. So the same way we make like IMO3 and KNF, like we had talked about previously, typically folks will use rice or wheat bran or even rice hulls, but you can even use things as accessible as like paper or coffee in a pinch, but it's not really ideal. And But we'll talk about why it's not ideal in a moment. I want to run through the process and then, like I said, we'll, we'll cover why those things aren't ideal. So you're going to want to take some blackstrap molasses and water and bring the water to a boil and mix it together at 11 to 1 ratio water to molasses. The idea here is basically you want to add the molasses to warm water so it you know evaporates into the water. And then we're just going to keep doing that. So you've done it at 11 to 1 ratio to start. After this is mixed, you'll take this and mix it with another uh, room temperature water at 3 to 1. Again, mix it until it's fully gone through. Because of the volume differences in the ratio, you'll probably do it in a five-gallon bucket. The reason why you don't do it all at once is because then you'd be adding, you'd be heating up a huge amount of water, and that's just not really accessible for most folks. Okay, so you're basically watering down this molasses significantly, and this is also not how you make rum. Exactly. Like, if you want rum, you got to add more than just some molasses, and just not a little bit. Come on. If you're going to make rum, you do it right. Go on. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's another episode. Put it on the list. Yeah, when are we going to get to the uh, like bootlegging miniseries? Oh man, that's such a good idea. We really should do a bootleg miniseries. That'd be dope. Let's actually put that on the list. <laughs> Wait, you guys haven't been putting these on the list? Fuck. No, I misplaced <laughs> my scroll. <laughs> okay. Um, so, Fucking 12 foot yeah. things hard to lose. Yeah, so like I was saying, you have to have the water warm for it to mix correctly, and if it was cool, it wouldn't distribute in the water evenly. Additionally, the other side is that if you have too much water you're trying to heat up, that's not like, do you want to spend a bunch of money on heat for heating up pots of water? No. So this is a little bit easier. So based on however many ounces of molasses you added at the beginning, that 11 to 1 ratio, whatever that one was, you're going to add equal parts EM to that. Once that's done, you've basically made like a liquid IMO2 if you want to like have a reference for like KNF. And if you don't remember what K, uh, what IMO2 is, you've harvested the microbes out in nature and then you've added it to a, a bunch of sugar and rice or well, you've already had the rice, but you add a bunch of sugar and mix it up and it just sits in a jar and it's basically shelf-stable food for the bacteria. I'm following you. 
Now, for every ounce of EM that you've used, which is, again, also the same amount of molasses, you're going to put four pounds of wheat, rice, what brand, whatever it is that you're going to use uh, in another separate bucket. So like two ounces of EM, eight pounds of wheat bran. You're basically going to add your liquid to this mix of wheat bran, mix it through uh, until every part of the bran is wet. It should squeeze into like a ball. If it doesn't, add a little bit more water. If it's too soupy, add more bran. Not really rocket science. Yeah, it's just like big bowl of porridge. Yeah, not even. Like you want it to be able to squeeze. You don't want it to be like dripping out of your hands when you've got it in that nice ball. Yeah. So this is the point that the EM is like inoculating the entire bran bucket. Yeah, so you've added it to this bucket. It's basically spread throughout the entire brand. What you're going to do is then stuff it into like some Ziploc bags and squeeze as much air out of it as you can. So it does, you're not adding competition for that EM that you've added to it, right? So you can put this someplace warm for like two weeks out of direct sunlight because, you know, microorganisms don't generally like direct sunlight, especially stuff that's decomposing. Again, this should sound pretty familiar to like making IMO3. Now, after two weeks, you can just open up those bags and smell it and see if it smells good. And by good, you mean like kind of sourdough yeasty smell? Yeah, it's like, you know, I think people know when something smells like it's gone bad. Like you can be like, yeah, it smells like it's gone bad. And people are like, I can't tell. And it's like, no, you would know, like breaking your leg. Like, is it broken? You you probably know. Like there's a very big difference between broken and not broken. Although, I don't know, I've never broken my leg, so maybe I'm not the right person to uh, make that assessment. Yeah, I absolutely destroyed my knee when I crashed a motorcycle this one time, and I did not know my knee did not work until I took a step, and then my leg bent the way that right, like, that's it like just shock, though. doesn't normally bend. No, no, no. Oh, it, that sounds just oh, it was, fucking awful. Yeah, it was terrible. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, good. Did you break your, your leg? I, no, my, I, knee, my, my knee was broken. Oh. Was I didn't know you could break your, oh, you're like your kneecap or like, how do you break your knee? It's a joint. Yeah. ACL, MCL, meniscus, like all the things that where your knee is supposed to be, that was all gone. (laughs) Okay. Knee stuff is like awful. Yeah. Speaking of knee stuff, you guys should listen to this commercial. Breaks. Speaking of breaks. Speaking of breaks. That 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 was was real. real That was better than we planned. Real smooth. (laughs) Hey there. Is your name George? Do you use foundations to funnel money to organizations to bypass tax regulation? Are you recognized as maybe funding radical leftist movements across the globe? Well then, this commercial is for you. Specifically you, George. My name is Andy, and the Poor Pearls Almanac is looking for you. Come fund our program. We've got boomsticks. We collectivize the energy of the sun with plants. If this sounds like an ad made explicitly for you, go support the Poor Proles Almanac at poorproles.com. That was great. Made my knee not hurt so much, so thank you for that. Laughter is really the, the best medicine. Other than medicine. And penicillin. Yeah. Yeah. Outside of medicine, laughter is the best medicine, yes. So yeah, how how that Bokashi bucket smell? No, you're supposed to be the one smelling it, man. I I'm got not, the bucket, you smell it. I'm not putting that Bokashi on my face. Yeah, so... <laughs> go oh, ahead. man. Yeah, so uh, once we got our brand all fermented and inoculated, getting us back on track, what are we doing with it? 
So mostly we're drying it and we're spreading it out and letting it air dry. Now, depending on time of the year and humidity, you might want to like turn it much like a compost pile. Within a few days at most, it should be done. The finished product can store in a container for over a year and you can estimate that you'll use about a pound of race bran. The finished product can be stored in a container for a year, and you can estimate that you'll use about a pound of the rice bran that you started the process with for like every week or so. So basically, you're just like dehydrating it, right? So if you have a dehydrator already, because I mean, if we're being honest, like all our listeners are crazy preppers like that, would that like work as well in a dehydrator or does it need to be like a slow drying? Yeah, I think it would probably get a little bit too hot because, you know, microbes. Yeah. This actually reminds me of one of the reasons I was spitballed the podcast with Andy because I'm pretty sure we were pretty drunk one time and I asked him about like why don't we use humanure, like people poo for composting and he went on a rant and ended up yelling like to the wee hours of the morning and I don't know, it was just one of those things where it's I was a, like it was at a hotel across the street from a Denny's, all right? There's very good reasons to be yelling After at the wee hours. After getting drunk at that hotel bar, that was miserable. Yes, absolutely. I had every reason to be yelling. Just want to make that clear. Didn't start yelling. You just kind of warmed your way up to it. It's the way to do it. Like you got to build the vocal cords up. You got to loosen them up. Be ready. True, but I'm just wondering how does all this? How effective would this be for like this Bokashi brand? How effective would it be for like a compost toilet? So, you know, people do do it, but I don't have any personal experience with it. But it's it's definitely something to be thinking about and to be aware of. And there's like a lot more that goes into processing humanure. But uh, that, Matt, put it on the list. It's on the list. Don't put it on the list. No, actually put it on the list. I'm just going to screw with you. Do you and- think I have a list? Do, we do have a list. It's got like it's got like 600 things on it. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm going um, to start adding stuff right now. You should. And see if I notice. Got to go back to the old episodes. What was the wait? What was the good one from earlier this episode? Uh, bootlegging. Oh yeah, yeah. We should. Yeah. Uh, to get back to EM, you can uh, what's called activate your EM, which is a way to say you're going to grow it out before using it, so you have more of it. And um, that process is more complicated than it sounds, and um, not something we really have time to go over today, Matt. While you're on that list. Get on it. Activating uh, so, your EM. Got it. Yeah. So if you do a quick Google search, you can probably find some examples of how to do that. The biggest challenge is supposedly, and I don't have a lot of experience with this, is that as you do these generationally, the cultures start to shift in their ratios. I'm not sure if that's necessarily a bad thing. I'd imagine that harvesting from your bucket, similar to how we harvest like IMO1 and KNF, would also get you those strong, healthy microorganisms. I've never tried it. Go do it and tell me how it works. You know, you just have to spend some time thinking about how you'd want to scale that up. Okay, so I'm thinking of other cheaper alternatives. What about paper and spent coffee? So spent coffee does work, but, you know, it's it's old coffee. Like, if you've ever thrown, coffee, like, an old coffee filter in, like, your compost, it has a lot of retained liquid, which can make balancing that liquid ratio kind of challenging if you don't want to have, like, a soggy mess that takes forever to dry. It's definitely worth doing and trying if you drink a lot of coffee and you get more comfortable with this process. Now, paper has the opposite problem. It's difficult to work with because it's so chunky. It works, but it does come with a little bit of extra work. But it is worth keeping in mind if supplies become more expensive. Okay, so what I'm hearing is if I've got a lot of documents to dispose of, 
thoroughly in a hurry, Bakashi might be a good option for me. You know, I've heard, just saying I've heard it, not that I know anything, that's what Hillary did for Benghazi. She is a terrible person who just recently was like in support of the far-right woman in Italy because she's a woman, but, hear me out, not a wasteful monster. All right. Matt's just shaking his head at me. <laughs> no, yeah. Get used to it, Matt. God, if, if nothing, I respect her for not being wasteful. If nothing. If nothing. Literally nothing. So what kind of bucket do we need to toss this stuff into? Like any old bucket or like... Yeah, Um. this is kind of the biggest downside in my own personal opinion is that you do need like an airtight container. And I use airtight kind of loosely. Like it doesn't need to be a pressurized airtight. Like I said, historically, this would have been like buried underground with like a small lid on top. Basically, all of the commercially available uh, Bakashi buckets are the same. They're basically trash barrels with uh, tight lids and uh, a screen above the bottom to allow the liquids to drain out, which is another soil amendment, supposedly, that comes out of it. They also have a spigot on the front to drain the tea from the bucket if you choose. So thinking like long-term collapse and all like what alternatives are there i would probably just dig a hole and do like like they did a million years ago or like a couple thousand years ago dig a hole and put a little cap on it holes and holes and some tarps i guess is what he's saying hell yeah tarps disintegrate quicker than you'd expect yeah i bet gonna elliot's gonna be firing up a clay uh making some clay for us it's gonna be fun i'll do my best andy so if you want to diy it the most common method, and I, I'm on the fence about it, I've done it and I'm not a huge fan, is to take two five-gallon buckets and drill holes in the bottom of the top one so the liquid drops into the lower one without needing to deal with like a spigot. And of course, given that you typically have food waste every day, you will probably need at least two buckets. You fill one up and then you let it finish fermenting for usually a couple weeks while starting the next. So you could try a couple options before settling in one direction. Everyone knows a good Bakashi has at least three loads going at a time. And we have got to work on the phrasing in this podcast. Anyways, what's this process look like? Not the three loads. Basically, sprinkle some of your bran on the bottom. Matt is rolling his eyes at me as I sprinkle my bran. Add your first layer of scraps, like an inch or so thick, and sprinkle more bran over the top. If you want maximized efficiency, which I prefer, you can press the waste down so that the microbes aren't having to cross like big air pockets in the bucket. So what I do is you've got your air sealed lid and then you can go and get the like normal like little clip on lids that you can buy for like two bucks at Home Depot for a five gallon bucket. And you can just cut the rim off of it and it fits perfectly inside and just use that to press down every time you add new food. Now, when you add like meat or dairy, uh, I definitely recommend adding a little extra bran. It should basically be like powdered sugar on a waffle. A plus metaphor. You're doing a great job, both of you. Just for you. Got that waffle game. Okay, so more meat, more wheat. So every time you add food scraps, you sprinkle a little more bran on top. Yeah, and like it's like a, a once a day kind of thing. Okay, so instead of like throwing your scraps in after every meal, you do it like once a day with everything or every other day to like preserve the airlock. Yeah, exactly. Like you don't want to be opening it up all the time or you're just kind of defeating the purpose of having the airtight lid, right? 
then that that can be like one extra step and as opposed to like composting it's like you've got basically like your your day scraps and then you put it in your bucket that's your, like your longer term scraps and then you've got your stuff that is already full and sitting for a couple of weeks so when it's full like i said you sit it or you let it sit for like a couple of weeks and you want it to be someplace like room temp or whatever and again People talk about draining off the Bokashi tea every few days, and many people use it in their garden or whatever. I've got opinions about that. I might bring that up in a minute. We'll see. So when you break open the bucket after like two weeks, you'll probably get hit with like really vinegary smell and a fluffy cloud of white mycelium on the pile, just like an IMO1 harvest, right? It's taking over the entire thing. And it will look oddly still like the food that you put in, and you'll be like, shit, I screwed up. But it's okay. So it's not coming out like regular compost at this point. No, at this point, it's technically called pre-compost, and it's basically like half broken down food. You can bury this in the garden or spread it out. You can do a lot with it. But introducing it to any kind of soil will basically finish off that breakdown of the food within a week or two. So you're dropping some like super nutrient dense low pH clusters in your garden every week or two? Sort of. The the pH neutralizes pretty quick and the volume is dependent on the volume of food scraps you collect. Now, if you don't want to be digging holes or if the ground is frozen or you're looking to use it for making potting soil, you can mix it with soil in a bucket, just sandwiching the pre-compost between the soil. Again, much like with your Bokashi bucket, if you're doing that, have drainage holes at the bottom of the bucket, collect the tea and do whatever with it. And that process usually takes like three weeks or so. So all in all, you're looking closer to like five weeks for this process. If you're taking your buckets and putting them in the basement uh, where it might be a little bit cooler, it might be closer to seven weeks from like closing the lid on the bucket being full to having soil. And there you have it, the unlimited potting soil hack. Yeah, the final product is pretty light. And when you amend it with other stuff, whether it's like a small batch of JMS or IMO3 or 4, we can start to see how we can and I hate to use this phrase, close the loop for our food systems in a very personal sense. This is magnified if we're also growing grains or rice and using that waste for the bran. And honestly, like having 50 pounds of leftover bran, which is what you'd need a year, is probably pretty close to what you'd grow for your own personal use, which is, I think, you know, kind of cool. That's pretty nice because I feel like a lot of the time the bran from your like homegrown grain just gets like blown away when you separate the when you like thresh it. So this is a fantastic use for it. It's not compost. It's not dirt and shit. It's Bokashi. It's what's for breakfast. Brought to you by the Poor Pearls Almanac. No, this wasn't a commercial. I just don't have anything to add to this. I'm completely lost. Good. I like to keep you lost. Keeps you on your toes. We're still talking about dirt and shit, aren't we? Yeah, always. Only dirt and shit. Two shits, one cup. So... Let's talk quickly about the tea. That's not the name of the video, man. I know it's not, Elliot. This is the Poor Pearls edition on Cornhub. Come on, keep up. But I do, I do want to talk about this tea thing. I feel like there's something nasty about tea, but we're not going to go there. I do want to talk quickly about the, the tea that comes off of this, because people have a lot of very strong opinions about things like compost tea. This tea is also called leachate, and it's something that should be used within hours of collecting and getting exposed to, like, microbes in the air. If you have like indoor plants, that's considered the perfect um, use for it. And if you can't use it that quickly, just pour it down the drain to help with your septic system if you have one. Damn, that wouldn't really occur to me. Yeah. So 
the problem I have with like the idea of this tea being like super nutrient dense or whatever is like we talked about putting coffee filters in your compost, right? It's got a lot of moisture in it. If you're pressing that down or even if you're letting it sit and letting the the natural pressures of existing slowly drip that residual coffee out of it, filtered coffee is not like a super nutrient for your plants, right? You know, the sugars start breaking down in bananas and the liquid drips off. There's nothing special about that liquid. So this is why I tend to have a problem with this idea of like compost teas, especially for something like this being particularly like beneficial. There's a lot of debate about this and the efficacy of compost teas as a whole. Right now, like I said, I've messed around with them because I have the Bokashi buckets. I've never really seen any benefits. And, um, you know, I've had really good success with KNF and Jadam, so I don't really bother with them. But it is something I do want to cover in the future. So if you're, if you are a big advocate for compost teas, you know, this is something that you can use supposedly. And, uh, of course dilute it cause it could be very acidic and use it quickly. You know, I was kind of expecting you were going to be a compost tea kind of guy. What can I say? I'm an anomaly. Ain't that the truth? I thought he was just fucking weird. I'm also that, yes. At some point, like I said, we'll go into, you know, some criticism of or analysis of compost tea. Um, but that's not going to be anytime soon. But uh, I do want to talk about science, though. So in terms of like Bokashi versus compost or just Bokashi in general, what does the science really say? Applications of Bokashi compost has shown up to 40% increases in crops, such as radishes, when it's used as a top dressing. But that's not really surprising, right? Like, we know we're adding organic matter. There's nothing really crazy about that. But how does that compare to, like, traditional compost? Now, that's the question I think that's really interesting here. But apparently, that's only me, because there's really no academic studies that I could find that did side-by-side tests. Well, well, well. What do you know? It doesn't sound like anybody could find research or evidence, or especially you, Andy. You couldn't find research or evidence on this because you are the expert on dirt and shit. There's nobody better than you at dirt and shit, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> so true. Number one. I am, the, I am the shit man. Oh, man. There's a movie, Poop Monster. Uh, I think it's called Poop Monster. Now oh, I gotta God. look it up. Have you seen it? Um, Hold on. I think, who is in it? Somebody famous. Nobody famous. Poop monster uh, kills careers. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a... He, no. doesn't, he doesn't kill people, he kills careers. That's... that's no, you know what it is? About. The scariest thing of all. It's a monsterd. That's what it is. If that's not the best name of a movie you've ever heard. Dom, please, for the love of all that is good, cut this out. Monsterd. Everyone go watch it. I, this is just like a matter of public safety now. Dumb, please. <laughs> the the tagline is, is "Don't get caught with your pants down." All right, that's kind of funny. Yeah, is I'll, I'll watch it now. All right, yeah, I'm on. Yeah, I'm on your side. Let's put it on the list. We'll all talk about it. And they they work at Dutech, like duty. Come on, yeah, it's beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful. It's, it's not beautiful. It's it's shit. Okay, so speaking of shit, I did kind of figure out a, a back doorway into getting an answer, but um. Tss. The look on Matt's face right now is just You're so priceless. lucky you're fucking 50 miles away from me right now. So there there seems to be two areas of interest in both Bokashi and compost studies. The first is the obvious one, the impacts on plant growth, which I don't think are particularly radical or surprising. You're Like I said, you're adding nutrients to plants. So like, of course, they're going to do better. And the second is how much nutrient loss does the process actually have? 
So I took a look at the studies uh, assessing estimated nutritional loss by comparing the mineral profile of the compost versus the materials that went in. Of course, this is assuming that mineral losses would be the same across different materials. Are you going to lose more minerals if you use bananas versus oranges or you know, whatever? We could dig deeper into this and as well as like how low or high pH foods might be more or less likely to leach minerals and nutrients. But given that there was literally only a couple of studies on this, it's not something we can do. It's beyond the scope of what we're doing, at least for now. God help me if it's on the list. The list. The list. So in the studies I did review and are uh, listed in the show notes, nitrogen losses in traditional composting range from 24 to 36%. The study points out that there are a significant amount of factors that play into this range from water use, temperature, carbon content, and so on. Bokashi, on the other hand, has almost no studies in this specific area, but, big but, for Monsterd, we can back out some data from work done on some Bokashi composition studies. You're nerding out pretty pretty hard right now, and I don't know what any of those numbers meant. I know what some of the words mean, but what, like, what's going on? Okay, so uh, yeah, it it's re- I don't know, like it's really fun to, and this is very nerdy, but like to find data and then be able to translate it into something else because no one else has decided to do that. Like that, you're putting these pieces together that no one else has done. It's like it's fun. It's cool. It's what the kids are doing these days, Elliot. I'm just going to let you have it. Yeah, I'm not going to tell them. <laughs> no, don't change. Okay. Keep, keep Be doing you, Andy. buddy. Be me. So anyways, while not the point of the study, the one I did find did show around a 20% loss of those same nutrients in Bakashi. And again, the same argument is made that it's incredibly impacted by temperature sources and so on. So the question you might ask is like, where, where did it go? Theoretically, some of it's lost in chemical reactions, some to the air, and some through that leachate. So I've been looking a little into Bakashi before this episode, and I noticed there's like a big DIY culture around it. And I think that's kind of what makes it like more the like most accessible for people interested in it so while on the surface you need to like buy all this stuff it doesn't like have to be that way if you're willing to like get dirty and if you've like seen other people that like they're not experts you're not an expert but like if they're Just doing having it fun doing maybe shit. i can do it yeah hell yeah so it can be as cheap or as expensive as you want it to be, but it doesn't really have to be expensive. And that's like a pretty relative term here. Um, you can buy those Bakashi buckets for like 40 bucks, or you can make them with stuff from Home Depot, which I didn't even talk about what I do, which is basically taking one bucket as opposed to two, getting the base that you put inside a five gallon bucket for like cleaning your car. So it's got like little holes in it for like all the like little dirt and stuff to fall to the bottom so like it does the same thing for leachate so you get your five gallon bucket put one of those in instead of drilling holes and then you just put a spigot on the front and then uh air seal on the top there you go so you can make it as cheap as you want i think those cost like 18 bucks a piece for me to build um so in terms of the actual bakashi i don't necessarily think it's particularly better than hot composting, but I think it does offer some benefits. The one that's big for me is keeping compost accessible during the winter seasons when I've got like stuff growing in my basement. Now I do some of both, Bokashi for some scraps, like I said, more in the winter, and then like compost piles outside for, uh, you know, I'll have like my chicken manure, other animals, 
being able to use that in a, a traditional compost pile, adding this, letting the chickens dig through, you know, food waste, things like that. Food scraps I get from other places can go outside to the hot compost. The bakashi is basically used for like a topsoil amendment for potted plants or just like whatever I really want to keep a little bit, I guess, away from the, the compost world, like the traditional compost space when it's too hot to go outside and do stuff or whatever. And I don't want to like introduce worms or bugs to my grow room. So this is like a little bit of a better solution for making like indoor potting soil. Okay, so each process has its place pretty much. Kind of seems like this is like a, this can be used for like sort of a more sterile compost. Yeah. The, well, not sterile, but like not having it, microorganisms in it. Yeah, and you're not going to introduce seeds from like weeds or anything if you're like weeding in the your garden and you're throwing that in a compost. You're not going to have any of those issues that you traditionally have with a, a compost pile. Okay, so what if we took these buckets, right, and put them in the grow tent between veg and flower cycles to make bakashi for homegrown bud? Do you think that would work? Absolutely. It's basically like JLF, but with making the soil like a JLF, like the full compost piece. I think that'd be a, a pretty cool process, actually. I'm going to add that to my list. Okay, it's on Elliot's list. I'm trying to get this man to buy a grow tent. He does not want to listen to me. Not in this house, man. can do it. Nope. You can be, be free. Nope, got no room. Matt, help me here. Uh, backyard, dude. I would have to get rid of my dining table, my dining like table, the table that I eat dinner at. My wife will not let me. Do. Not yet. No, she doesn't love me that much. That's what I said. She, she won't <laughs> let me do it. Uh, yeah. So hopefully, you guys have learned a little bit about Bakashi. I know Matt did. I don't know about Elliot. I know I did. I I learned a little bit. I learned uh, a, a little bit about a lot. I think. Okay. Okay. So next week we're going to be talking with some folks about uh, Bakashi and soil amendments and all that cool stuff. So hopefully you guys enjoyed this and you want to learn a little bit more and we'll be talking to Brandon Rust and uh, yeah, fun times. Name drop. Name Brandon. Drop. Brandon. Hell yeah. Thanks for hanging out guys. As always, drop us a review or a like on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you listen. And again, as always, make all your the, friends listen. Is what Elliot's saying. Family too. Um, this is the at poor the pearls dinner table. Al- this is the poor pearls almanac. What could be better than a little dinner time poor pearls? Yeah, a little a little shit talk at the dinner table. Literally every episode would start a fight between generations. Yes, that's what we want. Yeah.